Our gospel passage today comes from the Gospel of St. John, the 12th chapter, and can also be found in the middle of your bulletin insert should you wish to read along. I also invite you simply to close your eyes and receive in your heart these words as your heart might. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Humanity to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my ser servant be also. Whoever serves me, God will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Creator, save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. God, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was th thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has not come for my sake, but for yours. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. Holy One, may these ancient words kindle a spark, a light within us, that we may know you better. Amen. So, it seems to me that Jesus must have been an extremely difficult person to live with. <laughs> Here are the disciples in Jerusalem where they asked and then begged Jesus not to go, but faithfully followed him. Danger encircles all of them. As this isn't enough, Philip and Andrew have their faith tested when two unclean, unbelieving Greeks ask them to arrange a meeting with Jesus. On top of this, when Philip and Andrew do ask about the meeting, Jesus never answers the question. Instead, he goes off on this tangent about those who hate their life. Now, I need to pause there for a moment 
Am I alone in finding this statement a bit unsettling? Anyone? Am I alone? Yes? Yeah? Okay. Do we worship the one we call the God of life? Yes. Aren't we supposed to be overwhelmed by the beauty and majesty of this world and the miracle of life itself? Yes. Isn't Jesus the very one not two chapters before, but who's counting, that said to us, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Yes. Furthermore, if the new covenant written on our hearts is a covenant that inspires awe and wonder at the unending miracle of and gift of life, wouldn't it be little less than blasphemy to hate life in this world? Now, I am not saying that we don't struggle with difficult times during our lives. Anyone that has never had a hard time appreciating life at one time or another, would you raise your hand? Sure. I know what it is to wake up unable to come up with a list of gratitudes. Fair enough. But to hate one's life, that strikes me as juxtaposed to the heart that has God's law written on it. And yet, that is the very word that Jesus used. I have never seen a shorter definition in the English-Greek lexicon in my life. It was one word long, the definition. Hate, period. So what is Jesus saying? Let's put these words in context. Jesus has just experienced the triumphal entry into Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna and everything. But Jesus is nobody's fool. He knows things are not going well and are not going to go well. In fact, in the sentence directly after this morning's passage, the crowd starts challenging Jesus' assertion that he will be lifted up because Hebrew tradition is abundantly clear that the Messiah, quote, remains forever. In other words, Jesus is in a head-to-head confrontation between traditional Hebrew expectations and a rapidly shifting understanding of the reality of life in this world. Does that sound at all familiar to anyone? Last Tuesday, the first of the U.S. midterm elections was held in Pennsylvania's 18th district. It is a district that needs coal to come back. It is a district that hadn't even run a Democratic candidate in either 2014 
or 2016 elections. It is a district that voted Donald Trump into office with a 20-point lead. It is a district that is struggling to see any alternatives to their traditional expectations being able to pull them through this time of head-spinning change and technological advancement. In our human forms, we live lives that are constructed on divisions. We are Westerners or we are Easterners. We are Southerners or Northerners. We are churchgoers or non-churchgoers. We are believers or non-believers. We are immigrants or citizens. We are dark-skinned or light-skinned, conservative, liberal. We support gun rights or we support firearms legislation. We fight among ourselves about building walls or tearing them down with trade agreements. We divide and divide and divide. Now, in our own defense, our lives in the worst of circumstances can depend on divisions. That's why we protect our children. They don't have the maturity to know a dangerous situation and keep themselves safe. As human beings, we need time to grow into the understanding that our life in this world is so brief, so fragile, so limited, that it must be protected at all costs. And yet the price we pay when we do just that is that we risk the glimpses of the wholeness in which we were created. We must acknowledge that like it or not in this world, life is built upon division after division until very little is left for us to see except division. The last time I returned from visiting my family in Tennessee, my Uber driver, an African-American man of my approximate vintage, began telling me of his childhood in Chicago, the same city I was raised in. This gentleman told me that he had enlisted in the Marine Corps after he had finished school and that in two tours of duty, he had not seen as many dead bodies as he had growing up on the south side of Chicago. The Grand Canyon is not as wide a divide as this man's experience of Chicago and mine. We could not have grown up more than five miles apart, and yet we lived in different worlds, shockingly different worlds. Is it possible that this is what Jesus was referring to? Could he be preparing us for the reality of life in this world as a life in which division, contention, and confrontation will always exist? And if so, how do we use this teaching 
this guidance, if you will, as a kind of Lenten GPS. It seems to me that perhaps the place to start is where we are, to acknowledge the divisions, because in this world we will never know life without them, no matter what they are. And once we accept this as a human limitation in our quest to move closer to the holy, a sort of location, I, bet, I believe that we are called to muster all the courage we have and not say, save me from this hour, but instead say, Holy One, glorify your name. Now let's make no mistake, this is a big ask. Understand that what Jesus did after all of this hoopla that we've just been talking about, from the hosannas to the resistance he was getting from the crowd, was go and hide. That's what it says. He hid from those challenging his pronouncement that he would be lifted up, as well as those shouting Hosanna. That strikes me as significant, as telling, really, as to the amount of conviction with which we are asked to face life in this world. So what is the guidance of our Lenten GPS? How do we hate life in this world and have God's law of love written on our hearts? I believe that navigating this journey requires us to navigate the truth that indeed we will live the rest of our days in a world that will challenge and sometimes defeat us. We will struggle all of our lives to live into the wholeness of God's purpose and the depth of God's love while at the same time, if I can echo Jesus' sentiment, hating the divisions that cause such suffering. We, I can just about guarantee, will have our guidance systems knocked offline or perhaps overwhelmed by something that happens or maybe something that doesn't ever happen despite our fervent prayers. It is to be expected that we struggle and it is okay if we go hide for a while, just as Jesus did. Because the most wonderful thing about GPS is that it finds you. You don't have to find it. And we can travel on our Lenten journeys with that assurance. Amen and amen.